Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And you can see that we have a plethora of amazing guests tonight. I think this is the most people that we've ever had on Mormonish podcast, isn't it, Landon? It's definitely the most we've had. <laughs> it is the most. That's right. Um, the most talented group we've ever had. <laughs> yeah, this is an absolute concentration of talent here on your little screen. You will not believe this. So we have some amazing friends with us tonight. Um, we have Roger. How are you tonight, Roger? And very good. Oh, so good to hear. And we have Mitchell. Doing fine. Hi, Mitchell. Nice to see you tonight. And we have Rob, who might be a little bit of a familiar face. I've interviewed Rob before on some other podcasts and also on Mormonish. Hi, Rob. How are you tonight? Good. Excellent. And we have Mark. How are you? Great. Hey. Oh, good. We are so happy that you guys are here tonight. Now, this podcast kind of started with Rob and I kind of talking, um, actually this kind of land and Rob and I talking about BYU, the early days, the early 80s, because I was there in 84. Landon, of course, never got to experience the whole BYU scene like the rest of us. But Rob and I were just talking about that. He was there a little bit earlier than I was and just sort of mentioned just the crazy life there in the early 80s, theater department, friends, you know, a house off campus that they all lived in. And then some other issues that we're going to get into as far as the climate and things that were happening at BYU that were of a more darker nature, I guess I could say. Um, but I think we'll start our conversation just talking to all of these amazing gentlemen. And maybe let's just go around and introduce ourselves briefly. And then let's uh, talk about how you all met and what was happening there in the early 80s at BYU. Let's start with Roger. Why don't you introduce yourself for a minute? Yeah, uh, I'm Roger Bean. I'm a playwright. Uh... Uh, and th that's who I am. That's <laughs> um, I still, I, I write, my plays get done around the country and I make a living at it, which is kind of groovy. Uh, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Oh, that's awesome. What years were you at BYU? Oh, you know, I started at BYU Hawaii, which is a great place to start out because it was a nice, like uh, you know, all of my classes, all of my, uh, the the ones that you're supposed to take, you know, the the what are those? The, yeah, the not GE the electives or the general. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, all of that to do that in Hawaii was like just acing those classes. <laughs> it was pretty great. And then that was in '80, and then I was at BYU from '81 to '82. I think I left in '83. Excellent. That is great. Awesome, Mitchell. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, geez, Louise, where do you start? Um, <laughs> it's a loaded question. I realize well, that. So. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I work at Northwestern University. I used to be, uh, was working in uh, arts administration for a long time in Chicago. Former actor, former whatever have you in the, uh, you know, before I had, had a memory. Um, been in Chicago for 30 years. That is amazing. And what years were you at BYU? I was there stretched out <laughs> 79 and I finally graduated in 87. I'm guessing there's probably a mission in between there, right? That's yeah. always the question. Yeah. Guys always take six years to graduate, right? Instead yeah. of four. So. A, a very unsuccessful mission. Oh, okay. We're going to have to dive yeah. into that then. That sounds interesting. Okay, Rob, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, I'm Rob, and I was at uh, BYU. I went to Ricks College for one semester in uh, the 
spring of 79. And I was at Play Mill Theater, which was run by Rick's College. And Roger was there too, I believe, at one point. And then I started BYU in fall of 79. And my last semester on campus was uh, fall of 82. But I, I actually finished up home study in December of 83. Yeah. So oh, a good 79, there. a little faster than Mitchell then. <laughs> did you go on a mission? Was your mission in there, Rob, or was that after? I, I was a convert, so I did not go on a mission, and they never I got hounded by that the entire time. It was like, why? The why? Convert. I, also, I graduated in, in theater and basically made my living as a director in theater and play as a playwright. Director from theater. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now we have a Mormon, we have a Mormonish episode that will or will not air before this one. I don't know. We have okay. a backlog, but Rob talks about his time directing the Hill Kamora pageant. Yeah. Yes, I did. A tell-all. Very interesting. So yeah. awesome. All right, Mark, let's hear a little bit about you. Uh I'm Mark Wilson. I think I was at BYU uh 1981 to 1983. Uh it was my third attempt at college. I never finished college. I, um, yeah, I, I'm only realizing the last couple of years, the trauma that I was going through then, uh, with the passing of my mother, it sort of allowed me to get some real perspective on that. So I was, I was struggling the whole time. I started out at Deseret Tower. Uh, I was in the theater department. I loved moving to the Beaver Cleaver house. Uh, there was a real camaraderie and I felt way more comfortable and way less under a microscope and way more accepted and uh, was in a love relationship. And um, since BYU, I've tried probably four other universities, never finished. I moved to New York a couple of years after trying uh, UT in Austin and spent 23 years in New York working in restaurants, singing in cabaret clubs, uh, and doing a lot of tours. So got to work as an actor. And then after that, uh, I've taught voice lessons online, went to cooking school, been a pastry chef, running a travel company. So I kind of kept that gypsy theater feeling <laughs> but BYU was horrible for me and this is the first time I ever talked about it and oh my, my old friends know that I've I've run from it always this is the first time I'm addressing it sharing it and I have such butterflies but I have such <laughs> love for these guys and uh it was intense it was very yeah. intense so I'm I'm looking forward to the episode. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> None of us know what's going to happen. And honestly, this is why we brought everyone together because, you know, uh, things happen during college and, and you just kind of get through it and then you move on to the rest of your life. And then only later, I think, when you get older, you start looking back and going, what was that? You know, and you can put it in a perspective as an older adult, somebody mature with experience. And sometimes you do recognize a lot of heartbreak and things that happened or things that should not have happened or injustices or, or just playing out horrible, horrible things that happened. And so to still have friends around you that were there with you, I, you know, I can't think of anything better than to just to be able to talk about it and say, did we imagine that? You know, no, that's really how it was. So you mentioned the Beaver Cleaver house. 
This is my favorite part. Oh my goodness. Our viewers and listeners are going to love this. Somebody or all of you, please describe this house that you all lived in, how you all found each other. And I'm, I'm hoping we're going to have some pictures that we're going to be showing here because this just sounds literally like it should have been a reality show if there would have been the capability to do that back then. So that's exactly what all. it was. Yeah. <laughs> please tell everybody all about the Beaver Cleaver House in the early 80s at BYU. <laughs> you you found it, Mitch. You were the one. Blaine and I were going to move in together. And then we, you said, I found a house. Come look at it. There, I think up to nine people could live there or something. And Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I just found it. I found the ad in the paper. It was the summer of 81. I was doing a, I was doing a, a, a bad tour of a bad Mormon musical called Charlie's Monument. And we're back in town and we found, I found this ad and it was completely empty. I think, I think the, um, the owners had completely picked out free L the previous tenants. They cleaned it. They did whatever they did with it. It was empty. So I found it and I called a bunch of, I remember John Clark was one of the people that I contacted if he was looking for a place to live. And it sort of escalated from there with um, Blaine and Mark, me, and we and you can, we and mentioned Mark. there to look at it with John. And when we walked into the kitchen, the little breakfast nook, it was such a post World War II looking house. Yeah, I said, yeah. that looks like the breakfast nook kitchen and on Leave It to Beaver. And all yeah. of a sudden, we started calling it the Beaver Cleaver House, and it just <laughs> and then it sort of became because there were that first semester there were nine of us there. I think seven of us were theater majors, and right. two downstairs weren't. And it just sort of became a theater department hangout for like two or three years. And well, then you know, and, and back in the back in the day too, because be, we didn't have bars and coffee houses to hang out in, so we were hanging out in people's houses and apartments and on doing stuff on campus. So it was, uh, it was this huge house place for people to sort of congregate. And do yeah. the rehearsals and do their music stuff. And and Mark Gallagher had a piano in the living room. And so there's music going on all the time and till three stereos and <laughs> show tunes going all over all over the place. Yeah. So and when, it was, people like like a lot of people in the department, they would like move in for a semester and then like yeah. or two, and then they'd move out and somebody else would move in. So we there was a core of group of us, but I think that like Mark and, and Roger, they all moved in in late in early 82 or 80 fall of 82 or something like it that. It may have been the fall. I can't remember. Mark came up and saw me at the play mill and said, hey, do you want to come and live in this house? <laughs> um, and it was like, oh, wow. You know, it was like being invited to be with the cool kids. So I was like, mm, OK, because these were all the cool kids. Uh, if by cool kids, you mean positive theater nerds? Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the cool kids in the, in, the in the way of the theater. So this, that's right. Yeah, different levels. Cool but, kids. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. Yeah. And so core group, but people moving in and out all the time, and just super high energy. I yeah. just, I'm sad that I missed you guys for a few years yeah, because did, did I would have, you book, know. Did you ever see that awful Book of Mormon movie that came out like 20 years ago? Which one? <laughs> it, it, it was a full-length movie called The Book of Mormon. It was just like the first part of The Book of Mormon. Okay. It lay, the guy, the act, Mark Goller was on the room. He played Layman in, in The Book of Mormon music. Oh, movie. Okay. Yeah. I just remember a lot of bad wigs. In every Book of Mormon I, movie I've ever seen, the wigs yeah. are just horrible. Why can't they yeah. get those right? <laughs> well, they actually look like that. We didn't know that, see? 
Yeah. Oh, that well, you know, there is very <laughs> right. little actual evidence. So there you go. Oh my goodness. And so you guys were were in your your house after school. You were taking classes together. Everybody was there in theater and just a super energetic, charged atmosphere and so yeah. much fun. I mean, I I spent time. My then fiance was in the theater department. Of course, that was years later. But you know, just such wonderful people and just fun, just so much fun and so high energy and just such a great vibe and so friendly and everybody's so wonderful. So I love to imagine your house. I, I think that you probably had an impact on a lot of people who knew you, who just came, you know, for one party or just to hang out. I think yeah. that's really great. Well, the, the Daily Universe actually did a story on us. I, I thought oh. I had a copy of it here somewhere, mm -hmm. but like, can't find, yeah. Like, yeah. The, Trent Wright and one of the other roommates was on the cover. He was doing his imitation of Helen Keller, which wouldn't fly today, but back then. It was <laughs> oh, <funny>. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. that's the student newspaper at BYU called yeah. the Daily Universe that would come out yeah. every day, I guess, and everybody would, you know, flock to pick up your hard copy. And so you guys were actually on the cover there. I can only imagine you had more notoriety after that came out, and everybody wanted to come and find you guys and see what you're up to. Yeah. So. I think that's wonderful. So um, some of you that I talked to or we've kind of been chatting um, off before we came on the broadcast, we're talking about just, you know, pivotal years, right? Pivotal as far as figuring out who you were, living a life maybe, you know, different from being at home. And does anybody want to talk about that? Just what those early years were like. I think most of us who went away to college were like, oh, wow, it's me now. You know, who am I? That kind of a thing. So I, I mean, I've talked to Rob a little bit about this. So anybody want to talk a little bit about what that meant just to, you know, be at that point where you're self-discovery and here you are all in this house together. Well, uh, I'll, I'll talk about that. I, I've always felt like I was trying to, those years, that's, you know, that's when you're like figuring out who you are and growing up Mormon and then going to school. And then that's when I'm trying to figure out my own sexuality because I couldn't figure it out at home because my dad was my bishop. So it was like, it was, you know, there was no, there was no well, figuring anything not. out. <laughs> so where I figured it out was at BYU. That was my, I had my first date with a boy. I had my first boyfriend um, who, and I had another boyfriend who may be on this call with us right now. Uh, and, but it was always trying to hide and not be caught because you knew that it was against the rules and that what you were doing was, uh, well, you know, you were taught it was evil. You taught it was sinful. So, so you had to hide it all. And so it was, a, it was a rough way to figure out who you were yeah. because it wasn't accepted and, it, and you weren't allowed to be that way and it was dirty. So, you know, everything was, I mean, that was, that was a wrong way to come out. I mean, now I think of kids now, and I mean, to be able to at 12 say, mom, I want to wear a dress and you go, yes, great, wonderful. Let's figure out what that is. But, you, you know, you didn't get to do that then. And I know there are still a lot of people that still don't get to do that now. Um, but those were, that, that's what I remember about those years. It was always trying to not get caught, have fun, discover what I wanted to do. And then when it felt like, uh, like we needed to leave, uh, and Mark can tell this story, but Mark was like, he was told by another professor that it was like, the secret police are, there's going to be a witch hunt. They're going to, I hate using that phrase, witch hunt. 
uh, <laughs> as it's bad companies. though now. for that era. But I'm sorry. At it that is. time, and it was like, you got to leave or you're going to lose all your credits because it's a private college. And so, you know, you, you put in three years of school, you go, oh, am I going to walk away with like one credit of math? Is that all I'm going to get out of this? So then you kind of, I hung my tail between my legs and I ran off to Texas. Mark and I both went to Texas for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Roger, at what, what point did, uh, did you uh, discover or uh, you, you probably knew all along, but at what point did you kind of come out as gay? And was this before the, you moved into the house or was moving into the Beaver uh, Cleaver house part of the experience? No, you know, I knew there was something weird about me uh, in high school. And I had a I had a best friend that my mom didn't want me to hang out with. Uh, and he was also closeted and came out like 20 years later after he was married and we met up and he lives in Palm Springs now and we're, we're friends again. Uh, but I knew that there was something. Uh, I, I was, I started going out with a boy my first year at BYU. And it was someone who wasn't at the college, but someone, someone else who was in a show uh, and I was in the show. I can't even remember. I don't want to say, I mean, he lives in Salt Lake now, but he, he introduced me to somebody else. And then we started dating and he was a manager at a pizza restaurant. I was like, Ooh, this is cool. So we started dating. Yeah. Free, free pizza. pizza, free, a lot of things. It's a dream. Uh, yeah. And, and so it, you know, all, trying to do that and figure all of that out, I knew that it was eventually I, I had to leave. So when I did leave, it was, it was really easy. I mean, and I flew out of the closet. Wow. I ended up going back to, I went back to school and finished at Cedar City and Southern Utah State College. And I think I was the first openly gay person there. And, and when I showed up, I went to be with another boy who was like the homecoming king and was dating a woman then all of a sudden his boyfriend shows up and everyone was like i was kind of scandalous but i was like i already lived that life i'm not doing that again yeah. and everyone there was like no, no 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 be good just be quiet about it don't you know so so i did Very my time in utah skedaddle yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And Mark, so Roger was saying that a professor actually came to you with concern and said you need to go. That's commendable of that. I mean, unfortunate for the, you know, the entire environment and circumstance, but that's that's wonderful that somebody thought about you in that way. I don't remember that part of, <laughs> of the story. I thought it was Chuck Whitman that that came to you separately and said, I knew Chuck. <laughs> I don't know anything about you. I have suspicions, but this is what's happening. Okay, it's coming so, back to me. Yeah. Oh, there uh, we go. See, this is, this is our therapy session. And viewers and listeners, you're going to be right here for it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, I'm not surprised. Charles Whitman was wonderful. I interviewed him for my uh, graduate thesis on the theater collection at BYU. So that makes sense. So they were aware, professors were aware of what was happening. Yeah, and and gay guys in the theater department were just sort of disappearing. I mean, I can think of a couple that just yeah. stopped coming to school, and I I knew that they were gay. For yeah. me, 
at um look i never believed the church was true i knew that i was gay at 12 i i said before that byu was my third try at going to college uh I probably never would have come out to my mother and father. Be, well, that's not exactly true. What I will say is my mother was very sneaky and was my whole life rummaging through my things for evidence that I was gay. She had like a sneaky suspicion. So it, during my first semester of college, which was at University of Houston, she dug into an encyclopedia and found a love letter that I had written to a guy that I was in love with at the amusement park. I was in Six Flags shows. And they moved me home in the middle of the night, that night, in the back of a pickup truck, piano and all. I was just ripped out of school because I was, you know, um, I, I was straying off the path and I wasn't being a Mormon and... Um, and my brother is only seven years younger, and they kept all of this a secret. We, I really can't believe that wow. he was, um, I was 18, he was um, 11, and he's very bright. But he found out that I'm gay, like, uh, not that long ago when they invited me to join some family thing. And I said, yes, if I can bring John. And my brother said, John, who? My parents really kept it all totally separate. So then I went to a local university, but my mother was fracturing. My mother was so extraordinarily upset about discovering that I was gay that the moment I will never forget was I was playing the piano, which was now in the living room. We were in a tiny, tiny house and they had just moved me home. And I was playing something like Delta Dawn, not something, you know, triggering. <laughs> and my mother screams, you know, it would have been easier if you had died in a car wreck. Uh -huh. And then for the, so for the next 46 years, we lived that out with us fighting, with her constantly feeling responsible for my, I mean, she never, ever, ever loosened up about it. And when John and I got married eight years ago, she wouldn't say anything. We, we got married, we came home and three days later I said, mom, we didn't go to Walmart. We got fucking married. <laughs> Can you say some version of congratulations or I'm glad you two found each other or I'm happy for you? And she said, you know, we don't believe it. So until my mother passed two years ago, I have tried to protect her, but I realized that it wasn't not being accepted that was my issue. It wasn't not being validated. It was that I was traumatizing an old woman who couldn't let go at all. And um, we, we would argue about the church. We would, uh, so listen, when I went to BYU, I said, fine, I'll find a husband. I was very gay. I knew exactly who I was. And I saw the Mormon church as a horrible, hateful place because I had already been through such hell 
with reading the miracle of forgiveness and trying to set my life straight in all sorts of punishments. And um, it was uh, it was terrible. So at BYU, I couldn't focus. I never finished a semester if it wasn't a theater class. So I remember being at BYU enraged at all of the hormones of all of the straight people like loving and kissing and holding hands and me feeling those same feelings, but truly wanting to explode. And very quickly through Bishop's interviews and that sort of thing, because I didn't go to church, I didn't believe it, but I got, I would, I would be called in and they were, they knew more than I said. And one time being defensive, I said, no, I think about men, but I'm not with men. And then it became this follow-up with your thinking about men. And then I started to realize only recently that that was probably my church records that were being read by these bishops at BYU because I had already been through such hell trying to go through the, the process of forgiveness for, you know, maybe touching myself or something. I never mentioned other people that I was involved with. But it was horrible. So BYU was me trying to claw my way out of there the entire time that I was there. And I don't think I ever finished an academic course. I think, uh, you know, I was arrested at BYU. Uh, it was it was a nightmare for me. So the Cleaver House is a safe space. But that was fucking hell on earth for me. I'm sorry, we're probably not cussing tonight, but it was. <laughs> Really? No, it's okay. We can say whatever we want to. And if anything merits that word, I would say it would be your experience. So please continue. It was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. The whole time I was there, I was in the process of being kicked out. And what Roger said about losing your credits. And listen, in 1978, there was still shock therapy for the gay yeah. people. You know, I'm yeah. talking the, the most horrible version that you can imagine. In 1978, and, you know, they were always trying to get me to out professors. And I did know a couple. And I'm still not going to say who they were. As a but student, was, who, who was trying to get you to um, tell on bishop, professors? I had a bishop Bishops at Dripperette Tower. And then okay. when I moved into the Cleaver House, that was, you know, I was assigned to someone else where I didn't go to church. But somehow I had to go to these interviews. And they were part of what was leading to me being disfellowshipped or what it didn't get that far i i got out before there was a judgment but i i initially met with a bishop over a period of time and then it turned into the bishopric and so there were like three people and i was headed into like some sort of council or something but i actually stole a 19 cent big pen from the BYU bookstore and was arrested during my final for my BFA program where I was pulled out in front of my 18 fellow students and my three advisors by a policeman and taken in a police car to the police station. And I had to pay a $40 restitution. And by the way, when I was arrested, there were three other people in the basement of the bookstore that were also being arrested at the exact same time. For me, it was a cry for help. You know, I've had a lot of therapy now. I can look back and I can see what was motivating me. But I know someone else who took a lot of big things from the BYU bookstore and were never arrested. 
But uh, I guess that was me getting myself out because the church never officially kicked me out. But once I was arrested and that level of trauma and the fingerprinted and the all of that, I was not going back. And so I had an ulcer. I went into the hospital. My parents said, what's going on? And then I had my sentence. I think about men. And then so that started the next layers of a horrible destroyed family of shame and conniving and trying to get you back into the church and giving you the cold shoulder to show you everything that you're losing and and it was and it was all of that Mark. so drama <laughs> drama trauma ptsd out the wazoo that it was terrible. It was terrible for me. Yes, I loved being in the theater department. I loved being in the shows. It was that was fantastic. But the underlying, I was constantly horrified because I was in a constant process for a couple of years of being thrown out, which means my parents would know. And I I still wasn't able to like talk to them about that. But I knew in a solid way that I was gay. Like I say, what I said to myself, okay, BYU is fine. Surely I'll find someone exactly like me. Well, yeah. I did. We just couldn't talk about it. Right. Exactly. Everything is underground. Listen to you say this part. I just I, I suspected all of this. I think we all at the time knew that the others were gay. We were all in the closet, I think, with each other at the time. Except someone, but uh, yeah. I just remember you at the Y. You were probably one of the most loved, happy, joyful people on the exterior. I mean, you, you, we all fell in love with you. I mean, you just seemed so joyous, and to know that you were suffering like this underneath all that, I had no idea. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's what BYU is all about. <laughs> At least in my experience being there, it was about the faith, of course, yeah. but underneath the layers and the layers of not being able to be your true authentic self and everything that you can be in trouble for. And, and Mark was so damn talented as a as an actor. He, he yeah. was so talented. Mark, who, who recommended that you go to BYU? Was that a choice you made? Did your parents? Bishops? My parents said you will never leave this house except you can go to BYU. Yeah. Wow. So I, I was able to get in. Uh, I got in in, 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 the, in a summer term, which was a little easier to get into. <clears throat> and I was happy, you know, Texas was hot and mosquitoes and snakes and the weather when the mountains and the green grass and the yeah. cool air. And for a while I had a certain anonymity that, that felt safe, but then it turned so very quickly. I mean, you know, my, my roommates where you're two people in a room at Deseret Towers, both of those guys were working on me to get me to church and they were, yeah. They were having to say to somebody at the church why I wasn't going and they were conniving and they were manipulative and they were threatening and they were, you know, they they were coming from their own young place. And both of those guys were, you know, super Mormons. 
but I, I wasn't going to play the game. I was just, I, I really thought that I could just be under the radar the whole time, but they were far too in my business. And it happened so quickly. It happened so quickly. And I wasn't going to go to church. And, you know, you had to, you had to explain that shit. Yeah. What was the yeah. Beaver, no, Beaver House a saving grace for you? Did that? Oh, absolutely. And I loved Roger. You know, Roger alluded to the fact <laughs> that, you know, somebody made me on this podcast. I was, <laughs> I was deeply in love with Roger. And, and um, I think we had a pretty great relationship. We were both struggling in so many ways. I will never forget the trip to Roger's house for Thanksgiving. Roger, that's a movie, mister. <laughs> so um yeah yes it was definitely a saving grace because it was a haven in a way but look at the secrets that everybody was forced okay. to live so rebecca uh, I, yeah. I think blaine may have joined i know it. i was just gonna say blaine are you with us now I am with you. Can you hear me? Oh, yes. I can hear you. We, earlier, we were we were late starting because we were trying to get Blaine on. He's in. I'm Alaska. so sorry. No, it is not. We are just so excited that you were able to figure out how to how to join us here from Alaska. So yes, we you finally did it, and welcome. So we're just yeah. kind of going around Thank the you. room, and and you know, just kind of introducing ourselves a little bit, and 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 you know, kind of tag teaming and telling the story. So, um, why don't we have Mitchell tell a little bit about himself? Then we'll go to Rob. Then we'll go to Blaine, and then we'll just go back and keep and keep talking from there. And whatever comes up, comes up. Because you know, I, I want to say about the whole era you're describing. It's the best of times, but also the worst of times in, in all these things that are under the surface. And I completely, I, I was there in the eighties. So of course I didn't have your experience, but, but mm -hmm. I know the climate that was there. So Mitchell, tell us a little bit about you and then we'll go to Rob and then Blaine, and then let's just continue the dialogue. Oh gosh, Mark, that just makes me cry. Yeah. I, I know. That's what I, I feel um, like. That too. <laughs> I, 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 perhaps we all just sort of hid our deep selves so much and put on oh. a face, different face for everybody, you know, as we're going through the house and going through our, our lives on, on the campus. But, um, you know, we were, of the last couple of years, we, a, a few of us been able to do um, some Zoom calls with other um, gay friends at, that were at, at, at school at the same time and hearing about these deep experiences and the stuff we were not, not able to share and, um missed chances and mistakes that we all made it's just, it's just heartrending um and imagine yeah imagine if we i'm sorry i was just gonna say imagine mitch if we all knew that we were all gay all together in that house imagine the the fun we would have had right but it would have been it, 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 i mean it, as it was it, it felt like a safe place yeah. You know, we weren't I, judged. Did, did, did everybody ourselves. did everybody have a sense that everybody else was gay? I did. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I just knew that we were all gay. But yeah. I knew that towards the end of my last semester there that Mark and Roger were in a relationship. I don't I think it's put two and two together or we were kind of obvious, I guess, Mark. We may have been. <laughs> well, you you all had the base, you had the basement bedroom. And so there you no, go. Then we moved upstairs. <laughs> we moved upstairs. 
Yeah, we had a private. We had a private room. <laughs> we did. And I was over here with with Alan, and then John was over here. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Mitch. How many? You're know, right, though. Is is if we would have had the if we would have if we would have all been felt safe enough with within each other to just talk and be honest and 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 have that have that um that uh, that ability to to discuss and just let our hair down and it would have yeah. i think it would have saved a lot of a lot of um remember, issues down the road i remember one conversation i think it was which was you and me and john clark and i think the gallagher's and it was like a scenario we were talking about you were this was i mean this was a hard conversation to have you were having it with us the problem of masturbation and yeah it was, it was here we were in our early 20s you know oh my God. and having this huge problem where we I think because I wasn't raised LDS and I didn't have any guilt about it because my father when he told me the facts of life at 30 he said yeah this is just natural, nothing wrong with it, but you don't want to do too much, but this is natural. But I remember you were talking, and Mitch, and how, how difficult it was in the morning when you were showering. And I just said, well, I do it once, at least once a day. And you looked at me like your heart was broken. Oh, Rob, <laughs> you too? <laughs> oh, but just that that was that's one of the things i always struggle with, with with the church was that wait this is my body yeah um exactly and, i mean i i can touch my own body you know i wasn't raised with that being a taboo yeah. and and here we were at that time i've been in the church by about four years and i think everyone else had been raised in the church and it was just such we're tiptoeing around just these basic things that yeah. everybody can talk about now. Yeah. And even back then. Are you then, trying to help people then, about. Rob? I mean, since you were a convert, Rob, and you had more probably of a, a healthy sexuality, a healthy sense of sexuality. I wouldn't probably. say that. <laughs> well, I don't know. You said that your, your dad had a talk with you. I'm still yeah, waiting for the, my parents to give me the talk. I don't know if I'm doing anything right or wrong. They're in their late 80s. So. All of these <laughs> guys did, did were you, way braver more, and more together they, were. Okay. they came out i did not come to terms with this i mean i had a relationship in my early 30s but i didn't come to terms with this so i was 44 years old i just turned 44 when i finally came out and i have a younger gay brother who had been out for 10 years before that and it wasn't that my parents were religious i just think it was the time i was born in you know, the LDS church is weird was they were really no different than mainstream america really at the time i mean nobody approved you know the majority of americans didn't approve so in a way the lds church was just an extreme representation of what the mainstream attitudes were pre-aids about about gays yeah but yeah. um but we all had very we all had different degrees of comfort and um uh, we we there were there was a safety that we that we each had that we could only get so far open up enough this little bit to to you know get or open up our 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 our, our valve of, of emotions to be able to talk about stuff and then you clean them up again you know and um i was certainly one of those people that i there was only so much i could open up about 
And it was it was a frightening, frightening um, aspect of my life that I just couldn't talk about. I couldn't admit to myself, let alone um, discuss with people I knew I, I felt comfortable with. I knew it'd be safe to do, but I I just couldn't do it. It took me too long. I but yet I knew other people we, were we also suspected this yeah. about each other and were very accepting. I mean, I think that we all knew on some level all these guys are dealing with the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so yeah. we, we just I think we could open up in to a degree and felt comfortable and we supported one another. I mean yeah. When I was in Beaver Cleaver House, somebody who isn't here, but I, I fell madly in love with one of my roommates. And for the first time ever in my life, I was in love with him. He was not out. And did, and I didn't know how to even navigate that. Yeah. You know, that, a relationship, because we were very close and talked all the time about spirituality and God and, you know, personal revelation and the whole, that whole aspect of Mormon Mormonism bleeds into LDS romances, but there was nothing. And I was just, when I left BYU um, and I finished up home study, even in a way it was, my heart was breaking because I didn't want to leave this person. On the other hand, it was such hell. I was glad to get away from it because I just felt I was torturing myself for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. um, Mitchell, you're unique in that, uh, I think, are you the only one that went on a mission? Uh, and, and you said that didn't end well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And how did that go over being a, a gay man on a mission? And Well, as you could expect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, well, you know, I did my best to do to do what I felt I needed to do. And what what was expected of me to a to a degree, um, and you know I thought if if I I knew in the back of my head this is that I was gay and if I could somehow go out there and somehow face it face my face myself face my fears like the movie and um, figure out if this is gonna work or not. Um, I think that was sort of my, just my ultimate, ultimate test. Um, and it didn't take me too long um, when I first got out there that I realized, you know what, it, it, this, this isn't working. The, the, I'm out here for the wrong reason. It was tough. Um, there was a lot of good about it, um, but you know, ultimately, I figured out. You know, I'm I'm going to save my face and um, save myself and come back. I was only out there for a year, and um, that was really sort of the that was sort of my sort of my 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 epiphany, I suppose. You know, but but yet I get back to BYU, and I knew I still couldn't deal with it until I finished school and I just could get out of Utah. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't, it was too, it was too unsafe for me to do anything there. So yeah, I hear that as um, a word, all of you keep saying is, you know, not safe. And that yeah. is an I didn't absolute want to, I didn't want to tragedy. Get either. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I mean. That that is yeah. the underlying let's, um, I definitely want to explore that because there's a lot there. Let's, um, let's have Blaine introduce yourself a little bit and then we'll delve into some of these other uh, avenues we were going to discuss. How are you Blaine? Good. Um, well, mine's a little bit different. I went on a mission before I went to BYU. Oh, interesting. Um, and uh, then when I went to BYU, 
Um, I was actually an art major for the first year, and then I decided to change to theater, which was the best thing I could have done. Um, I'm not one to throw the baby out with the bathwater, simply because, completely simply because, had I not gone to BYU at the time that I did, with the people that I was with, I don't think that my life would be as good as it has been because of that. Uh, but it's all about the people. It's not about the religion. It's not about, um, even though I tried to hold on to that, I tried to be, you know, there was a point at BYU and, and none of my roommates at the Beaver Cleaver house knew this probably, but there was a point when I went to, I was going to the temple three, four times a week just because I felt like I needed some way to justify what I was feeling and what I didn't understand that I was feeling. Yeah. And I went through my whole time at BYU. I think we all knew at the Beaver Cleaver house that we were all gay. It was just one of those things you just did not talk about. And I ended up actually getting ready to graduate from BYU and there was just something missing. And I kept thinking it was that whole thing that everybody says at BYU, you know, you're, you have to get married. You have to get married before you leave BYU. You have to get married. And I actually found somebody that I thought I was in love with. And I guess I was in love with as much as I could be. And um, we ended up getting married. And to this day, I, I'm ashamed that I did because I brought her into something that she had no reason to be a part of. And I actually, it took me until probably about six or seven years ago to write her a letter mm -hmm. and apologize for being a shitty husband for not knowing how to love her the way she needed to be loved. It was just one of those awkward, strange life altering experiences that when I went to graduate school, and we had gotten separated and then we got divorced after my first semester in graduate school. She didn't go with me. She stayed in, in Denver where we were living at the time. Um, and I thought, you know what? I'm handling this divorce pretty good. And uh, it wasn't until probably halfway through my graduate degree that I just felt my whole world just fall apart and I couldn't come to terms with the guilt and the shame and the anxiety. And um, I've never said this, so you guys don't know this, but when I was in graduate school, I actually tried to commit suicide. Because I thought it just had to be better than where I 
was and what I was feeling. Um, so my experience is just a little different because I went and did the whole, you know, Mormon upbringing thing that you're supposed to do and felt like I should have done. And, um, it's, uh, BYU, the theater department and the people I was with at the time I was there, especially in the Beaver Cleaver house, really saved my life as well then. Um, and I didn't really know in all practicality how, how much that affected me until much later on when I um, decided to finally leave the church. And it broke my heart. But I knew I couldn't live a lie anymore. Yeah. yeah. And be a part of it. So I left. I'm just so happy that all of you. Go ahead. Sorry, Blaine. No, that's basically in a nutshell. In a nutshell. I know. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm so happy that you guys all have each other. That's how I feel. Seriously, <laughs> that you still, you know, decades later that you still have each other and you still communicate and you can understand each other where other people, you know, maybe able to have empathy, but certainly can't understand it. And just those golden years that you had together, even though, like I talked about before, the feeling of not being safe and, I was at um, I was at BYU in the mid '80s, and I didn't know anything about you know this other world that existed there until I moved in with a roommate who had many friends that were in. She called it the gay underground. That's what she calls it, and I was <laughs> like, "What is that?" I had no idea, and I just met the most incredible and amazing people. I I really had no idea. I was raised in a very sheltered, naive way. I, I just honestly didn't didn't know, you know, about different people or different lifestyles or anything. And there was one year, and I've told this story before, where one of the friends, he said, they're after me, standards office, campus beliefs, they're after me. And he asked my roommate if she would pretend to be his girlfriend for the semester so that mm -hmm. he could just have some peace so that they would just get off his back because it was that time when they were entrapping people, the Wilkinson Center, you know, they were they were literally entrapping people. This is not made up. I know some people say, oh, it wasn't like that. I was there. It was like that. So my roommate agreed. She said, OK, I'll, I'll your, be your girlfriend, you know, for the semester. And so they would have to go to standards office to prove. Oh, I think that they were boyfriend and girlfriend, like Celie, his girlfriend. And then one time standards called me as the roommate in the apartment and asked me, do you see them show physical affection? Are they ever sitting? To, you know, and it was a weird juxtaposition for me because I thought normally when standards, you're supposed to say, no, nothing happened. But in this case, they wanted me to tell them that things were happening to prove that it was a safe, you know, heterosexual relationship. But, you know, that little window that I had there where this wonderful boy had to say, will you, will you help me? Will you help me? Please help me get them off my back. Just pretend to be my girl. You know, and we had tons of fun together. You know, it, it was, it was really fun. But, but the now as an, as a much older adult, I look back and, you know, having kids that age that are in college, I just think, 
that someone has to live that way, you know, that someone has to find this workaround and manipulate this to try to feel just safe and okay inside. So maybe I I know it's difficult, but I think it's important that our viewers and listeners understand just what was happening in that way. If any of you have any thoughts or experiences or anything, I'm um, just on that climate there and, and the idea of entrapment or not feeling safe or having to act in a way that you normally wouldn't, you know, manipulate the situation, anything like that. I think we'd be really interested to hear if you're comfortable. There was, well, you know, do you go ahead, Rebecca? <laughs> well, I was just going to say, you knew that you couldn't go and take your own car if you were gonna go to one of the bars in Salt Lake City, because the secret police would go up there to the parking lots and all the streets around the gay bars and they would write down everyone's license plate. And then you, and that's how people were getting caught. I mean, that's what I was told. So of course I always went with somebody else. So I wasn't gonna get caught, but Yeah, those were the lengths they would go to. I mean, it was it was a full-time job for many security people to entrap and to head Salt down. Is, Salt Lake is 40 miles from Provo. Yeah. And then back Let's then, make that clear. Built up, yeah. it was a long 40 <laughs> miles. So it's not like campus police goes off campus somewhere. They're going to 40 miles yeah. away. They're, they're the going to yeah. city to gay bars. Uh-huh. Which is now what a very very open and a huge population of gay and lesbian back in 2007 there was a national survey of americans who self-identified as gay in salt lake city 11 percent of the population of salt lake city i self-identified as gay making it the gayest it was higher than san francisco the gayest city in america i love it yeah actually that's not on the license plate i don't that so. well i mean so that's actually something that that that's catching me as 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 you guys talk is you know you all kept saying you know i just wanted to graduate and get out of utah yeah. as if that's where you were going to go to find other people who were like yourself or who were accepting of you accepting. and yet here i see all of you that were living in one house right there in provo right. in the same program who, right. So it must have been a huge number of people who were who yeah. were gay, but well, everyone couldn't say it. No, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I came across this. I was looking uh, through Gary Bagheera's book, Brigham Young University, A House of Faith. And this was something that was in there. In, in 1976, there was a, a survey the BYU did of student behavior. 1976. 10% of BYU males and 2% of BYU females admitted to have having had a homosexual experience with someone else. That was in 1976. 10% of the, the guys, 2% of the women. Wow. And 2% of the men were still admitted at that point that they were still actively involved sexually with, a, with another man. Rob, Rob did, you did homework? You came, you did research. You did research and you came with homework. No, I didn't know there was going to be a test. That's why he graduated in three years. But my understanding was that was the turning point at BYU where they really started cracking down because they had no idea that it was that that many students. And so, yeah, but I I remember there was one fellow, young one kid who was in theater department for a semester. And he was, he was so talented. He was very likable and, you know, living all around the fine arts center. And, but um, 
suddenly it's like I got to the house one day. He said, oh, yeah, he got, he got sent home last night. And the um, the thing was, I think that he'd been entrapped. Somebody, uh, yeah. they, they parked above the temple in the car to make yep. out. And when he, when he started to make out, the security guy whipped out his badge yep. and said, you're, yeah, you're caught. <laughs> They they parked above the temple to make out. Oh no, that that's is, even more. Pathetic. That's the spot. <laughs> I used to make out of the temple. <laughs> I yes, I mean, <laughs> but you know there is also something about you, you know if you say you can't, if you make something taboo, if you make something forbidden, then don't you want to touch it? Don't you want to do it? Don't, I mean, human nature. And so the Mormon Church and the hierarchy says don't to so many different things. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, yeah, but we want to, we all want to. So it's no wonder that, you know, so many people have like broken out and say, yes, because well, you've you told know, us that we can't and now we can. Yeah. A taboo becomes a fetish. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly it. It reminds me of uh, going to firesides as a youth. And like I said, I was very sheltered. I knew nothing. My parents never had the talk. My bishop had the talk with me, but that's another story. But you would go to firesides and they'd say, don't do this or this. And all your mind could literally think is, what's that? What and what? Yeah. Where? What? And then you were kind of obsessed with figuring out what they were talking about. So absolutely, when you repress natural um, sexuality like that, there's, there's no question that something is going to emerge or erupt in some way, some very unhealthy, you know, um, but that's exactly what happens when you warp that natural just developing you sexuality. You can't, can't have sex. You can't be gay. You can't yeah. touch yourself. Yeah. Your also, then, then you're not supposed to think of sexual right. things. I mean, so it's like, don't think of red. What do you think of? You're going to think of red. I mean, yeah. and so you're, well, you know, the whole thing about the mind game you're playing with yourself. You're yeah. just, it's psychological suicide. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and well, I the, the first thing that, that really sort of, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, um, well, I, I'm, I'm thinking about my, my first year when I was there in 79, the thing that really scared the shit out of me was one of the guys that was, um, my first year, we were in the we were in the crucible together. We were in carnival together, and he was he and another guy on campus in his apartment. They were having an, an out 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 and out fling in front of everybody else. And I remember seeing both of them at in the cafeteria at, um, at Desert Towers one morning for for breakfast, and they were cool as can be, and it. And I was completely flustered and frightened for them because I knew what was going to happen, and there was rumors going on in the department. But it, but at the same time, I was I I had this 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 sense of of urgency about. I'm I'm very I'm I'm proud that you actually have the guts and the courage to do something like this, but at the same time, you're going to have to live you're, you're 19 years old and you're going to have to deal with the consequences of being so overtly out and and um in your relationship and it was this sort of this dual thing of of you have a lot of chutzpah for doing this but yet this is scaring the shit out of me just watching you having no um caution no you know and he he ultimately got got kicked out, 
but that just stayed with me my entire time you know Fear. um yeah yeah exactly Did you, and anyway did any of you know anybody? I, I knew of people who, like, there really was a modus operandi of actual entrapment. Um, I have a friend who was gay at BYU, and he had a friend who was involved in security in a way. And, you know, this person literally would entrap, like would entice, would invite, you know, and then pounce sort of. So it wasn't just, oh, I caught this consenting couple like you just described Mitchell and, and we're going to kick them out it was literal entrapment yeah. of Listen, people the, where they the would pretend to be something that they're not in order to lure someone out and that just so sorted so calculated do you, any of you know of a situation the, or the anything kid that like I, that I mentioned a few minutes ago who disappeared overnight that was it he was entrapped yeah I mean, somebody hit on him and got yeah. him to yeah. go up above yeah. the park and then when he was when he initiated the kissing or whatever, that guy then yeah said you know, you're under arrest or whatever you're caught whatever. Oh my gosh! Can you imagine the trauma of that? Here you are, I think know. you're just having an innocent date, and you're gonna just. Oh my, you know, it gets me uh, months ago when I, I um, Jerry, we uh, Rebecca, you interviewed me with um, Mormon book reviews. And one right. of the comments when I talked about, you know, back in the day, you, that you could not admit that you were having these feelings. I thought of that earlier when Mark was talking and about how when you basically confessed or told your bishops and all that you were thinking of men, that was an issue. And mm -hmm. I hate that the way things have been rewritten now where, oh, no, no, you could always admit it. You just couldn't act on it. Yes. No. You could, on it. If you admitted that you had these feelings, you immediately... Yeah. You know, we're targeted. A You didn't admit that. There's a way I would have told anybody what I was fantasizing yeah. about or thinking about or that I was in love with my roommate. Good God. I mean, I, that would have been the end of it. Yeah. Mark, there would have been Mark, no actually, Mark brought up the electroshock therapy of the 70s, and we, oh. we know that that was going on at BYU. Are any of you aware of anyone at BYU who experienced that, or did any of you? experience that as part of your time at BYU? This is what oh, I know. It, it, I, I have a thought on this. <clears throat> when I moved to New York in uh, 84, for the first week, I could stay with a guy. Uh, he's long gone, Jim Farnsworth. And I could stay with him for a week, and then I had to find another place. He had been to BYU and his lover received the shock therapy where they would show you pictures of naked men and then with electrodes, shock your testicles. So that was 1978. So that that's how I know how recent it was, but I never heard of anyone. I didn't experience it myself. It didn't, you know, I think it was referred to in one of my, my bishops, I'm getting in trouble meetings. And to back up with the entrapment, when I landed in Salt Lake City the very first time to go then on a bus to BYU or something, a man really tried to get me to touch him in at the urinal at the Salt Lake City airport. And in retrospect, I think of,
lots of students arriving at the same time. And there was a, this guy, look, I've been flirted with. This was so forward that I really feel like this guy was like some sort of undercover security kind of a entrapping person because they had no reservations yeah. whatsoever. They weren't being sneaky. They weren't being cautious. It was more like, you want some of this? And I'll never forget that because it was like, wow, Salt Lake City. Woohoo! <laughs> They're not I, holding I back. Of, I think of that as yeah. he had that gumption because he yeah. had nothing to lose because he had he the badge. Safe. He was yeah. safe. He was safe. Yep. Yes. Wow. But that was the weird thing, too, that BYU security had, I, I think this was announced in 79 or 80, had like statewide authority or something if they could. Yeah. I mean, how how does a, a private religious university's private religious police get statewide jurisdiction, except in Utah? Yeah, don't yeah. get Landon like, started on this topic. That That is what it was, just makes him so angry. But yeah. yeah, exactly. How do they have that overreach? How is yeah. that even possible? They, so, they're, they're trained at the state academy, so they're state law enforcement officers, and any law enforcement officer in the state can act anywhere in the state. So, uh, still that, though, that's even, even though they're that's... a private army, basically to reporting to uh, an authority that has, you know, a religious authority. It just yeah, it, Danites. Yes. <laughs> I just had to say it. <laughs> Legalized Danites. Yep. That's what Legalized Danites with a badge. And you know that the church security on their little police badge, there's an angel Moroni. I just learned that this year. It looks like a regular police badge and then it has a little angel Moroni. <laughs> Clever. Yeah, I know. Who knew? Wow. No, and, and I, all these stories, like, like the friend that we said we had, um, he was approached by somebody to see if he would go be a TA for somebody because they were trying to entrap even a teacher, right? So there was all this enlisting people to go and just, I mean, blatantly trying to root this out. You know, I, I just don't know morally how, how people could even look at themselves in the mirror. Yeah, what a waste of time and what, like what, 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 what a waste of, of energy and, and, and yeah. protocol yes. and um, just ruining people's lives, basically. Yep. With no gumption. For no reason. For no reason whatsoever. So do you guys, maybe some of you are like, I want nothing to do with BYU ever again. Maybe some of you follow it. Are you aware of recent twists and turns as you know students are still dealing with the same kinds of issues? Honor code will say one thing that maybe it's sort of more acceptable. You're not, not, not that you won't get in trouble, but, but you know, you don't have to be so panicked and feel so unsafe. And then the next day, the honor code will say, nope, absolutely no same-sex affection. Do any of you kind of follow the twists and turns at BYU? And, and what about allies that are there? Are any of you aware or have you just kind of moved past? <laughs> I'm aware of it. I, I belong to a couple of Facebook groups. Of, right. Yeah, the support BYU LGBTQ yeah. students and all. But um, yeah. I just- Yeah, they um, have the clubs, but, and I, they're I, trying. People yeah, are I'm, trying, but the underlying doctrine is never going to let it be okay at no, BYU. No. It's still yeah. going to exist no matter right. how much they try and they light the why and well-meaning people, and it's still not going to be all right. It, it, so, no, uh, the yeah. church is so authoritarian. It's so from the top mm -hmm. down. Everything's 
it's, yeah. it's, everything is dictated. I, I see it a little more optimistic. I, I think it is going to be allowed eventually because if they don't, they're going to lose everybody. Well, everybody has a there family. There is that. And that you, yeah. you, have to, you have to leave yeah. your family and people are starting to say, I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to it's do different. that anymore. I'm not going yeah. to choose the church right. over my family. And you see them losing yeah, numbers home. right now. I, I don't know if it'll be in, in our lifetime. Okay, I'm on a web. It's true. Right oh, there you go. Roger, you well, were going to okay. say something about that because you, no, you I hear you guys saying my family disowned me. You know, okay. that is not happening anymore. The family is choosing the child. So do you have any thoughts on that, Roger, or what we were talking about? Well, you know, I, I was just going to say, uh, I remember very clearly when I knew there was something wrong with the church. Uh, it was in the mid seventies and it was when uh, all of a sudden God said, Oh, wait a minute. Now we like black people. Mm -hmm. But before that, it was very much no, not allowed. They were cursed. Right. This is God's law. This is real. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was like years of peer pressure. And then God folded to peer pressure, to human peer pressure. And then all of a sudden. So it's like, okay, it can happen. And it's happened in our lifetime. Uh, you know, I'm more anxious to see when are women going to be allowed to have more power than they are allowed. I mean, the patriarchy is, I mean, right. <laughs> we, we can go on and on and on about the whole thing. But so many issues. that's <laughs> when I first knew when it was like, that was the issue. Besides my own, what's wrong with me? I feel kind of funny. I don't understand. I'm not supposed to feel this way about boys. But then sitting in church going, Wait a minute. There's something fishy about that. I thought God was all knowing and all powerful, but now you're telling me that because there was he was getting bad press, he said I've changed my mind. And that's what it was. So, yeah. it is possible. Same with polygamy, right, it's Rob? Possible. Same with polygamy. Yeah, yeah it is it is possible. Yes. Eventually God bells to peer pressure. I think that's in 2005 there. I was on a, a an internet conversation and some group or something I did. and uh at that point i think in 25 years the lds church will accept gays well that would be 2030 i still think maybe something might change in the next seven or eight years yeah but will the will gays accept the church they keep well, that would be it. i would say that a church that doesn't apologize for itself you know that never says we're sorry i don't know why you no. would Accept them. Yeah, but we've got to look at Africa, and that's the fastest growing population in the church, and that's a group that's that true. had been rejected by them before. So yeah. it, it may yeah. very well be that well, the, a lot of them don't don't know. They don't know. And, and, right. and after yeah. 20, 30 years, uh, I think it would be the same way. Uh, I think they've got to accept both uh, uh, the gays and the uh and the women have to get the the priesthood, Absolutely. or they're yeah. and, and you it see it already. Sister missionaries going out. There, yeah. it's almost equal to the to the elders at this point. I think it's almost 50-50 now. They're going to have to give it to them, or the or they're right. they're going to have a, a a schism and a runaway. And and yeah. the church, if anything, it's practical when it has to be to save their to save their skin, right. not because they've been revealed, but because. That's what they have to do practically uh, to, yeah. to save right. them. And they'll blame God. They'll and just they'll say, we don't know God. why God didn't let us. But now he's letting us. So here you go. Yeah. 
it's, it's a very convenient uh, little excuse. Well, it, there, it, took me, it took me a long time just to sort of reconnect and try to figure out my definition of God, my definition of what what religion and what spirituality means to me. It took me a long time just to to reevaluate and redefine stuff after all of that after all of that mess, because um, you know the, the the old saying is that you know God doesn't make doesn't make mistakes. It doesn't make messes or you know. Um, I, I I think that the church does a lot of a lot of damage psychologically to people. And certainly, the whole sexuality and the 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 gay element is is one of one of the biggies, and so it um, it 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 did it, it it had its effect on me, and so I had it took me a long time just to come to terms and make make my own figure out my own belief system again. My uh, my father who was my bishop for many years. And then he was a high councilman. My mother was the Relief Society president. And, you know, she did all the jobs that, you know, that, that dutiful people in the church do because they're asked to do it, even if they don't want to do it. But he has, he loves my husband. And he is very friendly with them. And he loves to come and stay with us. Uh, and, and I know that, that every couple of years, he may say something slightly different about doctrine. He knows he can't preach to me anymore. Um, he used to say that he always lobbed one up to heaven for me. That's how he would say he was sending a prayer. And I was like, you know, don't do that for me anymore. I don't need that. Uh, but I know that in the last few years, haven't they gone through a couple of different changes in doctrine about what they, about how to, how to deal, how to love your, your gay child, how to deal with it and how to not chase them away. I, I mean, they're trying to figure out how to keep people in the fold because yeah. the yeah. internet allows everyone to have knowledge and learn what the world is about. And so we all know so much more now than we did back then. So, you know, it, it could go really, really fast these changes. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you because I think back in my day and our day, it really was better come home in a pine box than to lose your virtue on a date. You know, I'd rather that you had died, you know, and we're hearing this here too. Parents don't do that anymore. They don't. They choose their child. There's nothing their child could do that would make them have that attitude about them. And I think the church is catching on finally where it used to work where the church could supersede that natural maternal or paternal instinct and get a parent to literally say, I wish you were dead, <laughs> then I've done this behavior. They're not going to say that anymore. Right. And right. I think the church is having to get on board. And I agree with you, Roger. They're, you know, they're trying to say it's okay. Support your child. Of course, it's a little bit of talking out of one side of your mouth and then making things a little difficult out of the other side of your mouth. But eventually, I think enough people, uh, Landon and I went to the pride parade over the, the summer, didn't we? And it was first time we'd ever been. Here in Salt Lake, huge parade. It yeah. was so fun. Yeah, yeah. And to see the parents, oh my gosh, and people were running from the sidelines out to hug people in the parade. I mean, it was just incredible. You saw parents and children and just, it was the it was the most family atmosphere I had ever experienced. And it was wonderful. And so then we were in a parade mood and we're like, well, 
let's go to the Days of 47 parade. We've never been to that either. So we got a group from Mormonish Podcast and the book club to go to that. And it was very different. It was just sort of like, hmm, okay. I mean, it was probably one of the most boring parades I've ever been to. Wouldn't you say, Landon? Oh, no, and we there kept was thinking, no energy whatsoever in that Nothing, parade. no. I mean, because they're no. just singing that song about they yeah. walked and walked yeah, and, and walked and walked and walked. Pioneer children, right? I mean, it's like, that is a yeah. boring parade, man. We, we <laughs> did learn that, uh, that um, church leadership has an incredible amount of security because we saw a car come by. It was followed by like a SWAT team van. It had like six officers with the Moroni badge. And we'd go, oh, it must be the governor. And it was an apostle. So we're like, wow, they have quite a bit of security. But no, we we looked back at the Pride Parade after we we left early from the days of 47. And we're just like, that was a joyful event. Absolutely joyful. And I'm so happy because I've heard before that that parade years ago, not so well attended. You know, people are not going to come out and support. And this one, it was and, through and it was the roof. It was, it was interesting amazing. because every news, every news uh, caster in Salt Lake was there except KSL. Every one of them had yeah. a float. Everyone KSL. had a float or a van or something, but not the church sponsored station. Yeah, it was really interesting to see that, but still so encouraging, so encouraging. It just the family atmosphere yeah. and just the love yeah. that was everywhere. It was incredible. So I think we have hope, even in Utah. I hope we have hope. <laughs> it, it, it will be interesting to see, you know, I, I, I said I'm optimistic that, uh, that they'll let the gays in. I don't know, you know, in the LGBTQ, I think the L and G might be, but will the B and the T? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different issues. At the same time. Exactly. Or is it going to be a trailing, you know? Yeah. They're wrapping their brain around it at this time. Yeah, it's yeah. very different. So, well, I think maybe we should now go around and just any final thoughts, go ahead and talk like where you are now or just any final thoughts about everything. Because we, I actually feel, you know what, Landon, I, I think these guys should all just start their own podcast together. I think you were all just <laughs> so wonderful. You can literally, oh my goodness, I can see it now. Think about it. That's my suggestion for you. But yeah, let's just go around. I'm I'm looking at my screen the way it is. Let's just start with uh, Roger. Just any final thoughts or feelings or anything about, you know, any of it? Well, uh, you know, I I wish that uh, my time at BYU is different. I wish that everything that I know now, I could funnel back. I mean, but isn't that all about life? Everything I know now, funnel back to that 19-year-old boy and say, this is the real knowledge, know this. And to be able, I would just love to go back to that time and say, be out, talk to everybody. But you know, it, the times would have to be different. Um, but I, I, uh, I enjoy having my memories of it, but I don't ever, I don't ever really think about it because I moved on and away from it. Um, I do get BYU alumni fundraising things. They found me somehow and they go straight into the trash because no, uh -huh. thank you. I mean, already, I mean, the church is the richest organization in the world. They have more money than Apple. So I don't need to give any more money to that organization. But um, my, my feeling is I'm glad that I got out when I did and, uh, and I'm, a happily proud gay married man. Uh, I'm glad that all of my siblings are out or out of the church. 
Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Mitchell, any final thoughts? Um, I'm, I'm glad that we, I'm glad that we, we had the time together, you know, not trying to sound like Barnett, but um, <laughs> we survived, at least most of us survived. Um, and in the time of, you know, we, we were there in the early years of, of AIDS and we survived. Um, maybe that was one of the reasons why, I don't know. But that's um, a blessing. That's a that's a blessing that I think we all had because it's true. Um, it's true. Yes. But with with uh, with that with that all all the, and, and all the psychological damage and all of the individual um, angst that we were going through either together or by our uh, on our own, we survived. And um, you know, I think I think we're the better we're we're better for it. I hope. Um, I think it it helps to have to be able to see our faces, all these faces once in a while, and to discuss and just to remember, for heaven's sake. You know, it means a lot. It means a lot. Yeah, I love it. I'm just so glad that Alanda and I got to be a fly on the wall. It's amazing. Let's go Rob and then Mark and then Blaine. We'll just put you all in order. <laughs> I mean, just amen to everything they said. I mean, I... <laughs> My my regret, and it, it's, it's silly to regret because you can't change the past, is that I look back and I see that the path I chose as a teenager joining the church and, and going to BYU, leaving, going back to the church 10 years later, leaving again. But uh, I, th I think I delayed my maturity, my sexual maturity, my emotional maturity. And I think that that certainly has had a negative effect on many aspects of my life. But on the other hand, I've learned so much. Um I feel a lot older than I am in a lot of ways. I mean, the song sometimes I'm, I'm I'm still here. Just you know, I just feel like that as I hear all this talk, we're still here, and um, and I, I I think the most people who grew up in the closet, regardless of whether in a sense you tend to raise yourself, you try to be your own parent because you can't be honest about your feelings. You don't have role models. Uh, for how to model a life based on those feelings. And so you try to be a parent to yourself, and no child can do that. None of us can parent ourselves. We're not equipped to do that. But we do the best we can. And I think that we all do the best we can. I, I, I'm so grateful. One of the greatest blessings of my life is that, you know, 42 years later, you know, we're here talking. And uh, we've had such different lives, and I know we've each have had pain, and difficulties, but we're still here. So let's keep going. <clears throat> I, uh, I'm so grateful for this reconnect. I've been too afraid to reconnect. I, uh, this, th this has been very powerful. I wish that I could have known decades ago that my parents weren't going to change and I could have figured out a way to let that go instead of fighting for so many years. And um, I'm encouraged by the number of young people leaving the church in my own family, just like 
I don't think they've told my brother yet, so I'm going to just say that I'm connecting with members of my family in a way that I thought I was never going to experience in my life, and their bravery at their young ages, and their um, their trusting their own hearts, and their putting themselves first, and them uh, vocally not being okay with so many things that they disagree with and that they're, you know, maybe they're not shouting it from the mountaintops, but the kids in my family are actualizing and they are, they're not accepting what they don't believe and they are, um, I'm very proud of them. Uh, my niece has recently started her own podcast, which is called The Divine Self, where she is talking about leaving a high demand religion. And I don't think she's told my brother yet, and I don't think he knows about the podcast, but there you go. I'm really <laughs> encouraged by that. And also the fact that, like Roger said, we don't have to read it in a thick, dusty book anymore about the truths of the history of the church and the old doctrines that have evolved because they're no longer acceptable and all people are um, I'm witnessing so many people who are, who are following their own heart. And when the Holy ghost speaks to them, they listen, even though it's giving them the wrong answer. There's a mass exodus of pe people that I know, and I'm really encouraged by that. And the fact that I have a niece who says to me that she was always troubled by the way that I was treated, that's so validating mm. because yeah. the old folks in the church just were not able to, to see that. And I also know for a fact that my mother truly struggled. And even though she always came down on the side of the church, I know for a fact that she was in the middle of a faith crisis when she passed away. And um, I wish that the church could help parents to better accept that their kids are their kids and that they don't have to choose between the church or their child. And it was really news to me, Rebecca, that parents aren't acting that way because that just wasn't my experience. And the worst trauma that I experienced with the church was the pain that I inflicted on my mother because she couldn't find a gray area. So I'm encouraged by that. I'm happy to hear that. And um, that's it. And I don't think the church needs to change. Just leave it. Just leave it. <laughs> That's my thought. There you go. That's it. Oh, thank you, Mark. And Blaine, any final thoughts? Um, I just want to say how grateful I am for these men who have had the courage to live the lives that they have lived inside the church and outside of the church. It's such a strange thing to look back at all those years at BYU and they seemed like such a blur and yet they seemed like it in many ways, like it happened yesterday. 
um, I'm kind of at a different place in my life because of my terminal cancer. And so I'm kind of trying to wrap things up and find a way to make, still make sense of the insanity that the church is, that the church has placed in so many areas of people's lives and that we believe wholeheartedly because we don't want to be left out in the end and the, you know, or go to a different place other than the whatever kingdoms they've created for us. And um, I wish I would have had the courage myself to have not gotten married and done such a huge disservice to not only myself, but that poor, innocent woman who um, deserved better. I think we all deserved better. And BYU was, was in many ways part of the healing process as well for my soul. And um, I just, uh, I'm grateful for the experiences I've had in my life that have led me to this point. Um, we wish we could change things. We always, hindsight is so easy to look upon as, you know, the end all be all, but, you know, we have to live with what we are given and what we've done and the choices we've made. Um, but every single one of these men and in the Beaver Cleaver house, um, I fell in love with many men at BYU and I fell in love with, a couple of women at BYU, but it's very different um, for anybody that has done that. And uh, I just love you guys. And I hope that we get a chance to talk again um, and share some more of our uh, ourselves mm -hmm. and our history and our story. Thank you, Rebecca and uh, Landon for doing this. Yeah. Oh, you guys are just amazing. I'm going to have to put a disclaimer on the podcast and say, do not watch this without a box of Kleenex. You're going to need one <laughs> for sure. Oh my gosh, you guys are just wonderful. Uh, Landon, do you have any final thoughts? I don't know, even know if I can keep talking. <laughs> Sorry. I, I just want to say thank you for letting me be a part of this because you know, I, I'm glad I didn't know you guys at BYU because back in that time period, I'd followed the church and I would have seen you completely different then than I see you now. And as Blaine told his story, I was looking, I looked at each one of you and, and I saw the, the care and the love that you had for him. And wow, you guys are amazing people. And for the for BYU, for the church to tell people that this love is not acceptable, there is way too many problems in this world for that love to be wrong. And 
it took me a long time to realize it, but you guys are amazing. And, and, and thank you for being the pioneers you were in setting this. And hopefully your example can be an example to kids that are following and kids that are going to BYU here in the, in the next uh, generation. So thank, thank you for letting me be a part of this conversation. Oh, and thank you, Landon, for being honest about that, because it's true to look back and realize I was that person. I would have viewed things completely different. And now to know I am this person and I see it now. So that that's why podcasts like this are extremely important. And I hope that all of our viewers and listeners will not only watch this podcast, but share this podcast it is extremely important. And as Landon said, these wonderful men are pioneers from an era where it was very different, but maybe not so different. And we can make a difference in that too. So um, please comment, let us know if you were at BYU in that era or experiences that you have or, or things that you could relate to in our conversation today. We covered so much and we just appreciate everybody, Roger and Mitchell and Rob and Blaine and Mark. And, and I'm not kidding when I say, I think maybe you guys should join up and make do a podcast. <laughs> You're so entertaining and you have so much wisdom and, and life and love. And, and I think it would be pretty amazing. So uh, we could help with the tech maybe and, and that's pretty amazing for us to say that hell huh, landing because we can hardly figure out our own tech so that's right we still don't <laughs> but, have yeah. Blaine on video so <laughs> we still don't have Blaine on video we don't know what we're doing but oh my gosh this evening this is going to warm my heart seriously for for weeks I think when I think back about this and I'm just so happy that our viewers and listeners are going to have a chance to experience all these wonderful men um so please like and subscribe. And if you would like to be made aware of when new episodes come out, you can hit that notification bell. If you would like to financially help support the infrastructure of Mormonish Podcast, we have uh, links in the show notes to PayPal or for Venmo if you would like to donate. We just appreciate all of you so much. And we're completely committed to continue to bring you wonderful content with wonderful people like we saw here tonight. And we just appreciate all of you and all of our guests tonight. So thank you, everybody from Mormonish. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.